Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. And this is the Athletic Wins Football Podcast World Cup Edition. Today, we'll be looking back on day 19 of the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. In Brisbane, England and Nigeria went all the way to penalties. And the Lionesses scraped through to the quarterfinals. And co-hosts Australia sailed into the quarterfinals, winning 2-0 against Denmark. With me today are the Athletics' Michael Cox and Charlotte Harper. Hello, both. Hi, Michelle. Hello. We'll also be hearing from Harriet Drudge later in the show. First up, England against Nigeria. So England are through, just the Lionesses did not play well and lost Lauren James to a red card in normal time, but they kept Nigeria at bay and made their way to a penalty shootout where they triumphed 4-2. Okay, so let's sort of go through this chronologically then and and try and look back on what happened. Uh, A few set pieces some opportunities for England, but Nigeria started a lot better, maybe, than some people thought. Uh, in the 30th minute, there was a penalty to England, but then no. Michael, what did you feel about this call and how it happened? And almost the ball was on the spot and then VAR came in to check it. Yeah, I didn't think it was a penalty, to be honest. Just not enough contact for me. Charlotte? It looked like she had her hands around her neck, potentially the way Daly went down, but what did you make of the whole process and... Almost the delay in checking the VAR quite, from where I was sitting here, felt quite lengthy. I think there was a bit of hand wrestling going outside of the box and then as Daly entered into the box, it looked like uh, she actually backed into the defender, which then made it look like she was pushed. And I don't think the role afterwards helped Daly's cause. I thought that was a touch exaggerated If it had been given, it would have been soft. And I think VAR came into action at the right time and made the right call. Would you say that overall the first half, Michael, was Nigeria's? You know, technically they look better than England? Yeah, I think they did. I think it's quite an interesting game because England's system, you know, very different to Nigeria's system. I thought both sides were finding space. England were finding space in the channels, kind of on the outside of the centre-backs. But I thought the final pass and the a couple of times Lucy Bronze overhit passes or miscontrolled the ball and they couldn't quite get in. And then on the other hand, Nigeria, I thought, had a lot of joy breaking on the outside of England's back three. Uh, I thought the two wide players were, were excellent, particularly Kanu down the right. Um, so, yeah, it was quite a good... I mean, it was a more open game than I expected. Uh, Nigeria didn't just sit back. They they tried to press higher. They tried to engage the England centre-backs. And, um, 
yeah, I think Nigeria were, were on top at that point. I thought England, towards the end of the first half, I thought England grew into it. And I understand why Serena Vigman kept the same shape at half time. But then I thought the the second half, I thought England were particularly poor, actually. Um, and yeah, the game kind of momentum changed, I think, a few times in, in, in the second half. Yeah, at 58 minutes, as I said, Ashala came on. 75th minute, Rachel Daly was denied. I thought that was going in. Brilliant stop from Jamarka and Dozy. Then one of the biggest talking points from this game, the Lauren James red card. Charlotte, I mean, there is so much noise. There's going to be so much noise around this. Well, where do you stand on it? What's your thoughts? What was your initial reaction? What do you feel now? Firstly, um, regardless of the, the player, it's just unnecessary. As an elite athlete, it, you don't need it. Definite red card. And then you have the context. So Lauren James, who has been heaped with praise, I only spoke about on the last podcast appearance how brilliant she was, but that doesn't excuse her behaviour. Um, she's painfully f- shy as a, a person for in front of the media. Uh, and people say, you know, within the camp, she takes a little bit of warming up. But when you get on one-on-one and those coaches who have spoken to her very free to talk to, some say she has been tricky to manage, but also in that game, you could see she was frustrated. She wasn't getting on the ball as much. Emma Hayes has taken her under her wing at Chelsea and Serena Wiegmann has done the same. Lucy Bronze has taken upon that mentorship role for Lauren James, who is only 21. It is will be a huge learning curve for her. Serena Wiegmann said in her press conferences, we're all human and she'll move on from this. It is just such a shame that her World Cup has been marred by this incident. Yeah, World Cup potentially over because it's a one-game ban in a major tournament for violent conduct. But, Michael, FIFA can extend that if they want to. That's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, there was one earlier in the tournament, I think, that went up to three games. It often does happen that way. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm pleased that it wasn't the thing that decided the outcome because I think it can be quite difficult when all the blame gets placed on on one individual and as we've just discussed I don't think you know I think England was second best on the day even before that uh, that red card so yeah I'm, I'm pleased that she's not going to be made the the scapegoat for England's exit because regardless of uh, what she did which was pretty stupid I think those things can be quite unpleasant particularly these days with social media and stuff so I think yeah, we should be pleased we've avoided that, basically. Yeah, I hope we would avoid it. I mean, we say with social media, but we saw what happened to David Beckham in 1998 and then Wayne Rooney when he got sent off for similar moments, really, that heat at the moment. I mean, she had been marked out of the game pretty much for the whole thing, Michael. And Serena Vigan was asked about it, wasn't she, in her much the amount of press conference, you know, didn't have special plans for Lauren James, and clearly they did. But going forward, if England are to get her back this tournament, because theoretically at the moment, if they won their quarterfinal, they could have her back for the semi. Is this just something now she has to get used to and develop the maturity to to deal with it? Yeah, to a certain extent. But I also think, to be fair, I'm surprised Serena Wiegmann didn't change system. She didn't change system until after that red card. And it was quite funny afterwards. Both managers agreed. Actually, England stabilised their defence a lot better when they had that enforced system change and went to the four. But I did think Maybe 10, 15 minutes into the second half, I was thinking, you know, it really wasn't working for England. And I thought for various reasons, both defensively and to get maybe Lauren James in a bit more space, they could have switched to the four. They could have gone to 4-3-3. James maybe could have come out to the left and and found some space there. Because it's not a position that she plays 
week in, week out for Chelsea. You know, that number 10 role. I think especially in this tournament, teams are so well-organised and so compact and so narrow, it's, it's really tough to find any space. I actually don't think she found that much space at times against China until, you know, the ball kind of fell to her on the edge of the box. But it's very difficult to get the ball in those situations sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, she does have to get used to it. But I thought England, I thought Wiegmann really, maybe for the first time as, as England manager in a big tournament, was maybe a little bit lacking in terms of the, the tactics. I'm surprised she didn't change shape because, for me, it just wasn't working for England with that threat at the back. Michael, how did they change how they were playing then after that red card and being down to 10? Well, I mean, it was fairly standard stuff. It was just 4-4-1. And in fairness, England didn't really offer anything going forward. But I thought their issue throughout much of the game was just the, the Nigerian wingers finding space on the outside of the back three. And I think there was two things that happened. One was they weren't finding that space. And as Nigeria's manager, Randy Waldron, acknowledged after the game, Nigeria weren't really sure how to play it when they had to take the initiative. And we've seen that really from them throughout the tournament. I mean, I thought they were really good tonight. I think they were the better side. I thought some of the the close control in midfield was excellent. But at the end of the day, they've played four games and three of them have been nil-nil. And against deeper defences, they, they don't really have the answers. They don't really know, I think, how to control the tempo of the game. And they just didn't really create any chances. So it was it was partly that England solved a problem. And part, I think, Nigeria just didn't quite maybe hadn't prepared for a stage in the game where they were going to have to take the game to England. And, and I mean, England never looked like scoring an extra time, but I'm not really sure Nigeria did either. Yeah, so Beth England came on for Lauren Hemp for the second half extra time. Katie Zellen brought really late on for Kira Walsh. It felt like extra time, I don't know, it felt like it went quickly, but also was incredibly tense, Charlotte, wasn't it? It was a huge contrast to the Spain-England quarterfinal in the Euros when... As soon as uh, England equalised and it went to extra time, I felt a lot more comfortable, even though I was shouting some tactical expertise at uh, Michael, like, get rid. (laughs) (laughs) But during that extra time, I felt England were in control and on the ascendancy and had the momentum with them. This time, I felt like England were just holding out for penalties. Yep, it was penalties. An opening miss for both sides. We were level with four to go. Beth England scored for England, which was followed by a second Nigerian miss. Rachel Daly delivered. England were ahead. And then the first pressure penalty for Nigeria was taken by Achibi. Very smoothly put away. Chloe Kelly, winner of the Euros finals, of course, score it in the finalissima, puts England through. At 110.79 kilometres an hour, Chloe Kelly's winning penalty was the fastest shot of the tournament so far, uh, measured by the technology inside the ball. However, it was part of a penalty shootout. It will not count for the official leaderboards. But talk about coping under pressure, Michael. I mean, the run-up, and to put it away like that, incredible nerves. Yeah, I really like her run-up. I do think it kind of makes sense, even as someone who's never even vaguely played professional football, just kind of like line it up. And it almost like seems to just get her going in terms of momentum. And she does it every penalty she takes. And I don't think I've seen her miss one. So, yeah, she's, I mean, obviously, like you say, three massive goals for England now for a player who who doesn't tend to start the matches. Um, But when she comes on, she makes a massive impact. We have to talk about England's process, though. Uh, And from the start, they were very organised, very disciplined. In comparison to the finalissima, when it was Lucy Bronze, who actually bumped up Kelly on the penalty-taking order, here you saw Serena Wiegmann and her assistant Ian Vering talk with the 
goalkeeping coach Darren Ward. The penalty takers were clear. You saw them in a huddle. Penalty takers on Serena Wiegmann's left, non-penalty takers on their right. Every player knew their position. Even England were out first into the centre circle. Lucy Bronze doing her shithousery master of mind games, waving at the Nigerian goalkeeper right in her line of sight. In contrast, Michael saw this. The Nigerians were a bit more disorganised, involving every substitute, every staff member. Even when Georgia Stanway missed, Jess Carter was the first one to console her. Even when Mary Earps didn't get a hand to that penalty save, her arms were outstretched wide and celebrating as well. So maybe it's the narrative, yes, England won, and some of my friends are like, you're such Debbie Downers on this podcast about England winning. <laughs> there is some delight and joy that England have just won a penalty shootout. And what a what a moment for Beth England. I mean, didn't even get a minute in the Euros and comes on and dispatches her penalty. Alex Greenwood, cool as a cucumber. And Chloe Kelly with that high left knee action. She does it as a sub as well coming on. You'll always see her as a sub. She gets that kind of warm-up. She's in-game, laser focused. And Willie Kirk, her former manager, said after the Euros, she's like fire and ice, and ice in her veins to to score that penalty as well. So, yes, (laughs) England are not playing their best. Injuries, Kira Walsh is back, and there's still some teething problems. But they have come up against all the odds, 10 players on the pitch and still win a penalty shootout. So that is my rant <laughs> over and you can edit that out. But hats off, <laughs> Never. Hats off to, to England for sticking to their process and remaining calm under pressure um, when an early exit of the World Cup would have been a real failure. Yeah, I think it would have been a failure. Um, well, the Lucy Bronze shenanigans aside, there was a lovely moment of empathy when Chloe Kelly and some of the other lionesses were covering Jamaka Ndozi, the keeper at the end, just to keep the cameras off her and, and genuinely console her, which was really classy. Um, Serena Wiegmann, every moment it looked like Serena was guiding them through. She had a plan. She knew how to steer the players through these stressful moments. Would you agree with that, Michael? Because you don't seem so sure about her tactics in this game. And do you think she might need to be a little bit more tactically and shape savvy against Jamaica or Colombia? Oh, by the way, producer Steve said he, he loved the bomber jacket. I don't really have an opinion on it, but... Opinion of the fashion on the touchline today, Michael, as well as the tactics. Who is that? Serena's bomber jacket. Serena Wiegmann. You having that? I quite liked it. I quite liked it. I t- to be honest, I, I didn't notice that at all. Uh, See, Michael's professional. Sorry. Michael's a professional. He hears me commenting <laughs> on the fashion. These are the finer details <laughs> that we all care about. Yeah. Not Michael. <laughs> uh, um, but look, did she look calm and in control to you? Or do you think there's, like you said, the first time you felt you'd seen her in a major tournament, that maybe there was a bit of doubt? Yeah, I mean, I do think she always looks calm and in, in control, to be fair. But I just, yeah, I thought the decision-making at the, the start of the second half... I did ask her in the press conference whether she'd considered going to a back four before the red card, and she said she did consider it. But she said... Her answer was basically said, because of the kind of intensity of the game, I think she was a little bit worried about the subs getting up to to speed quickly. I think that was what she meant. I, I couldn't quite understand her reasoning for not changing the system. Wasn't um, that what the United, the US manager Vlatko said as well about subs getting up to speed? I mean, <laughs> how long does it take? Yeah, it, they have an is, that not that, is that not a job? Well, well, I thought, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting as well because in that game, so that was the, the Netherlands game, wasn't it? And the player he put on at half time 
Rose Lavelle. I think she misplaced her first four passes after she came on. So it kind of was true. And I mean, being at these games, the thing you really notice is the intensity and the physicality. It's just gone up a level so quickly in the women's game. And maybe it is a factor. Maybe the managers are quite surprised how intense it is. Maybe they are worried that, you know, subs will will take a few minutes to get going. It's a a really good shout, Charlotte, the fact that two managers have specifically said that, or fairly specifically said that, because I'm kind of reading between the lines of what Vivian said. (laughs) I I do think it's interesting. But yeah, I mean, she's obviously, we've seen a different side. Well, we've seen two different sides to Vivian. One, we've seen she changed system, which she didn't do last year. And in, you know, this game, she was quite tentative with using her subs. And of course, last year, England's success really was all about the subs. So we are seeing a different side of her. Just off the back of that, Michael, I don't know if you agree. It seemed England were tentative in, in one-on-one duels. Your quickest players, whether that be Lauren James or Lauren Hemp, were, were losing out to Nigeria's speed. And it seemed England would then turn back and almost doubt themselves. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And again, to make another comparison to the USA, I thought it was similar in USA-Sweden. I thought that Sweden just couldn't progress the ball because they weren't strong enough in midfield. And it's not... It's quite rare that you would say that's the major deciding factor in a football game rather than kind of technical skill or tactical skill. But like I say, the physicality of this World Cup, it's really, really pronounced. And I think it is having a, well, I was going to say a big say in deciding games. Obviously, neither USA or Nigeria actually won the games, but I think they were the better side in both games. So, yeah, it's a really big factor this tournament. Mary Epps spoke about getting the job done, not being at their best, how well Nigeria played, how England managed just to get through. Uh, The players felt how we did it sounds like Charlotte and I've seen a few people say oh you know what I think England have got a big job to do now to pick themselves up and and get ready for the next game or or will they be sort of buzzing off the adrenaline of the penalties will that wear off where do you think they're they're standing right now I don't know about the players but I'm just emotionally drained (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that will take it out of them as well Um, of course the adrenaline they're high but also that come down and, and the reset and they go again but I felt quite calm during the game because England have been there before. Like they, mm. they have surpassed those obstacles in the Euros. They know they're going to struggle and to have to dig deep. So some recovery time, they play again on Saturday, is it? Saturday morning, yeah, at 11.30. They play again on Saturday, so right, they Michael? have their recovery time. And if anyone right, is going to keep them yeah. organised, set <laughs> on the task in hand, one game at a time, it'll be Serena Wiegmann. So Nigeria's tournament is over. After the game, Nigerian left-back Ashley Plumpter, who represented England at youth level and qualifies for Nigeria through her paternal grandfather, said this. I think everybody counted us out against England. I know we came into this game underdogs. I'm telling you, I don't want after this game. I'm tired of people just saying that African teams are just strong. They're just fast and count us out as being technical or or tactical. Like we pushed England to the very end. And I actually think that we had the better chances than them. Uh, it's important, Michael, that how African teams are, are spoken about, I suppose, isn't it? You know, you can't keep just saying it's about physicality when clearly, technically, for a lot of the game, they were better than England today. Yeah, I think that is an important point. And I think we we saw tonight they were very tactically well-drilled. Nigeria, and I'd say the same about South Africa as well, I was really, really impressed with the way that they played against Italy, their coach Desiree Ellis explained their tactical approach perfectly after the game and it worked absolutely brilliantly. I think there's been a real sense that a lot of the, the underdogs or the emerging nations at this tournament 
really know how to play. I think, you know, so much has changed in terms of preparation for some of these teams. The, the video scouting, I think, in particular, has has just given them a sense of what they're going to be up against. And I think even maybe four, eight, 12 years ago, that you know, teams came into this a little bit underprepared. But yeah, I think Nigeria were the, the better team against England today. And I think, you know, as I say, with regard to Wiegmann's system, I think a lot of that was tactical. The latest from FIFA with regards to Lauren James, by the way, at the time of recording is... A red card incurs an automatic one-match ban. However, the FIFA Disciplinary Committee could increase that, which would be communicated in due course. So there you go. And all those people who are being a bit ferocious on Twitter saying she needs to fly home, she does not need to fly home. Well, a matter of minutes after Chloe Kelly fired in England's winning penalty in Brisbane, co-hosts Australia continued their campaign against Denmark and Sydney. We'll talk about that game and look ahead to the final last 16 fixtures to be played next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. It was Australia against Denmark in the second last 16 round of the day. The Athletic's Harriet Rudge was at Stadium Australia in Sydney. Wangal and sent us this report just after the final whistle. It ended up being the perfect night for Australia in Sydney, back here for the first time since their opening group game against Ireland. Denmark started the brighter of the two sides though, with Australia happy to sit back and absorb the pressure in the opening stages before looking to spring counter-attacks of their own. The only issue with doing that against Denmark though is that it allows Penilla Harder to pick up the ball in the gaps between defence and midfield, and that's exactly what she did. It led to her having two opportunities earlier on, one going just wise, the other straight at Mackenzie Arnold. Just before the half-hour mark and a little against the run of play, Australia produced a moment of magic on the counter to send the 75,000-plus crowd here wild, even before the ball across the goal line too. An incredible pass from Mary Fowler inside her own half and just at the curve of the centre circle set Caitlin Ford off and running beyond the Danish defenders. She took one touch to get herself into the box before slotting the ball in between the legs of Lena Christensen. Australia's second came through Hayley Rasso, Van Egmond did well to control the pass from Fowler inside the six-yard box with her back to goal. And though she couldn't get a shot away herself, she had the presence of mind to know that Rasso was free and put it on a plate for her to all but seal the place in the quarterfinals. And with 10 minutes left to go, the crowd went wild again. This time though, at the sight of Sam Kerr ready and waiting on the touchline to come on. She replaced Rasso and showed flashes of why her participation has been so eagerly awaited. Two goals, a clean sheet and a place in the last eight and the return of Kerr. It doesn't get much better than that for Australia fans. 
So Peniel Harder, the main threat for Denmark then. Uh, Harder really made things difficult for the Australian defence. Uh, Australia started very strongly, continued. And a great goal from Caitlin Ford on the counter on 28 minutes was well deserved on the balance of play. Hayley Rasso put Australia two up. That pretty much felt like game over. And finally, Michael, we saw Sam Kerr at this tournament. 78 minutes, massive for her to play some part with Australia in the competition, isn't it? It really is. And being around Australia, you you get a sense of how big a deal she is. I was in a, a airport bookshop the other day and there was an entire shelf dedicated to what seems to be basically the equivalent of the Harry Potter books, but with Sam Kerr as the, the, the main character. What, Wizarding Adventures inc- of Sam Kerr? It sounds like a must-read. I hope you Honestly, it was, something, <laughs> it was something along those lines. But she clearly is a massive deal here. And, you know, this is a bit of a cliche to say, but for the sake of the tournament, for the, for the sake of the vibe around Australia, which has been... I mean, they are really into it here. I think it's really good. One, that Sam Kerr's back because she's such a big star. And two, that Australia is still in the competition because um, there's a real intensity of support here that is quite striking for a country which is not necessarily a massive football nation, but they're absolutely into this. And there's a real desire to see Sam Kerr on the pitch and, and scoring goals. Well, tomorrow, two of the surprise packages of the tournament take each other on Colombia v Jamaica. The winners will play England in the quarterfinals. To recap how South American side Colombia have made it to this point, here's Tamara Griffin. As fans have taken to saying, Colombia is linda, as in Linda Caicedo, the 18-year-old, once-in-a-generation phenom. Caicedo was behind that iconic winning goal in the match against Germany, as well as another banger when they played South Korea. There's also the threat of Myra Ramirez, who's got height, speed, grit, and an appetite for goal. This team plays with a lot of trust in each other, and it's created some of the most cohesive, consistent football of any team in the tournament so far. Colombia's defense has been stellar, though they'll be without their anchor in Manuela Vanejas, who will have to sit out the knockout stage game due to a yellow card accumulation. Okay, and Jay Harris reminds us of Jamaica's dream journey so far. Jamaica announced themselves at this tournament with a gritty 0-0 draw against France. But knowing the backstory to their World Cup journey, including their crowdfunding campaign, that result was one of the first in a tournament filled with shocks. The reggae girls have actually had a lot of help from Sadella Marley, and yes, that is the daughter of reggae royalty Bob Marley. To get here, she's funded their pre-tournament camp out in Amsterdam when the Jamaican Football Federation were not supporting the reggae girls historically. Sadella was the one who stepped up and kind of provided that funding. And Jamaica are now looking to get up, stand up against Colombia to try and progress further in this competition. They'll need a lot more goals from Bunny Shaw, the Manchester City striker who lit up the WSL last season. Jamaica have actually only scored once so far in this competition. That was against Panama. And that was when Shaw wasn't on the pitch because she picked up two yellow cards in that first game against France. Cartwheeling head coach Lorne Donaldson has said that this game is like a boxing match. Can Jamaica be the one left standing at the end? to get the Jamaican Football Federation to sing their own redemption song. So Tamara introduced us to the phrase underdogdom in a previous pod. The idea that both these sides have thrived as underdogs so far, but which one is best equipped to be the dominant team in a game, do you think, Charlotte? Either. They've shown that they've got defensive security, Jamaica especially, holding Brazil and France to, to goalless draws. But you've got Bunny Shaw up top, an out-and-out goal scorer, proving herself in the WSL. And Colombia, I think, 
they will really give England a run for their money if they were to progress beating Germany 2-1 in the group stages, which was ultimately their downfall and, and their, of their early exit. <laughs> On paper, you would think, wow, yes, the draw has really opened up for England, Nigeria in the round of 16 and Jamaica or Colombia in the quarterfinals. But as we've just witnessed today, that paper is not materialising on the pitch. Which side from an English perspective would you rather face, Michael? I think Colombia are a much better side. I'd have them as fairly strong favourites for this one. So I think England would rather get Jamaica. That said, Jamaica have been excellent defensively. Three clean sheets, including two against pretty big sides in, in Brazil and France. So I don't think either side would be simple. But I do think, I do quite strongly fancy Colombia for this one. I, I think they've got a little bit more going forward. I think they've got more creativity. I'm really looking forward to this game. I think it's a a great fixture for many reasons. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a really good game. I'm not sure either side will be desperate to dominate, as as Tamara kind of says. But uh, I think Colombia probably more capable. Well, France have avoided becoming a victim of one of the many upsets in this World Cup so far. But their nil-nil draw with Jamaica showed that Le Bleu can't take their progress into the quarterfinals for granted. They take on Morocco and here to write us how the French got here, it's Charlotte. France finished first in Group F on seven points. Their performances have not been wholly convincing, drawing 0-0 against Jamaica and edging past Brazil 2-1 thanks to captain Wendy Renard's winning header. But they do look promising. One player to keep your eye on is Kadidia Tudiani. Coming into this World Cup, she had not played since fracturing her collarbone in March, but she has hit form, scoring a hat-trick against Panama in their final group stage game. The question is not about talent with France, but mentality. As they go deeper into the tournament, will they handle the pressure under new manager Elvi Renard? It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for France, and they're feeling pretty good. Well, Morocco are already in uncharted territory, having never made it this far in a World Cup before. Here's producer Abby recapping how that history-making run has happened. How do you lose your first match 6-0 and still make it through to the knockout stages? Ask Morocco, as that's what they've achieved. An opening loss to Germany was followed by two 1-0 wins over South Korea and Colombia to see the Atlas Lionesses through. In their first World Cup, they're through to the knockouts. And for more history to be achieved, it's likely that Iptisam Jaredi will be involved. She scored the winner against South Korea and won the penalty against Colombia. But France have found their form, and Morocco will need to be defensively solid to contain Wendy Reynard and co. from having a field day in front of goal. But one thing we know about this World Cup, well, it's to predict absolutely nothing. We should mention too, as discussed before on the pod, that Morocco's new Hayla Benzina has become the first player to wear a hijab at a World Cup. If this game against France was being played in France, she would not be allowed to wear it due to current FFF rules. Yet another example of progressive moments bumping into places where change is needed in this game-changing World Cup. Charlotte, as you were saying just there, the French are feeling good going into this one. Uh, you singled out Diani as a particular threat. Yeah, a really talented player who... She was awarded player of the season last season for the French Domestic League, even though she was out as of March, as I mentioned, because of a 
fractured collarbone. She's much liked by many European clubs and her PSG contract has just come to an end. Chelsea were heavily interested in Diani as well and she was close to signing for the reigning WSL champions but it's actually Leon who have secured her signature on a four-year contract that was only announced five days ago and she was the leading scorer in the French top flight last season with 17 goals even though she picked up that uh, injury as I referenced earlier on in March so definitely one to watch for the tournament going on. But not only her you've got Eugenie Le Sommer and I think I've said time and time again, France have the talent uh, littered over the pitch, whether it's Selma Basha or Sakina Kachoui or the midfield dynamism. I know that Amandine Honoré um, is out and Michael is a big fan of her, but Kenza Dali has has really stepped up into that position this World Cup. Michael, Shark said also in a recap, maintaining composure mentally may be the toughest challenge for France. Is staying in the game late on and letting the pressure build on France, Morocco's sort of best approach here? Yeah, possibly. And I think they'll play on the counter-attack, try and use speed on the break. I think that's possibly a good approach against France. I do think Renard sometimes on the turn can be a little bit sluggish. So yeah, I'm I'm actually going to this game uh, down in Adelaide tomorrow and uh, very much looking forward to it. Morocco obviously bring great vibes from uh, what they did in Qatar in the Men's World Cup. And uh, I think this could be a really interesting game. Uh, Before we go, we've got something really important to touch on. Arguably the biggest issue of the day, which I know Michael's thrilled to talk about before we go. (laughs) What time is it in Australia right now, Michael? Uh, Eight minutes past uh, midnight. (laughs) This is exactly what he wants to be doing right now. But Charlotte's more enthusiastic. Charlotte, we have a pod mascot after 19 days. Exec producer Abby's mother-in-law has knitted and crocheted a koala for the podcast. Just uh, for the listener, Michael currently has his head in his hands. But Charlotte and I are clearly on the same wavelength. So uh, before we go, I need a name suggestion. We'll come back to this. What's your name suggestion for this little, little tiny koala? I'm going to go for... How about Kayla? Kayla the koala. Okay, Michael, you can't go to bed until you've told me a suggestion. You can't log off. So I know you hate it, but come on. You must have seen some good local names and stuff like that while you've been on the ground in Australia and New Zealand. What what was your what was your name, Charlotte? What was it? Kayla, as in Ma- Michaela, but Kayla. Miss Michaela, actually an Australian name. Michaela, eh? G'day, mate. I'm Michaela. Michaela Strachan. <laughs> right, come on, Michael. Uh... <laughs> there must be like a good stadium name or something. I mean, they're called like Melbourne Rectangular Stadium. <laughs> they can be less exciting names. <laughs> Could we just go Chloe after the, the score of the win penalty tonight? I like that. Okay, well, I mean, lazy, but we'll come back to it and we'll decide tomorrow. Michael's <laughs> thrilled. Thanks so much for joining us today. And now you've got even more reason to come back tomorrow to find out what the koala's called. And make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Charlotte Harper, Michael Cox and Harriet Drudge. I'm Michelle Owen and we'll see you tomorrow. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.